You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn East. With the recent spread of COVID-19, we've suspended local services. Today's sermon was recorded by one of our pastors, and we pray it's an encouragement to you. Peace be with you. I have to say that this is a first for me, and to be quite honest, it feels a little awkward. I never thought I'd see the day when I'd be preaching to a camera instead of a congregation. You know, I so highly value our gatherings together, and no matter how great technology might be, it can never replace the gift of real presence. And yet, while this is not my preference, I do recognize it's a gift to be able to share with you, and it's a gift I don't take for granted. You know, we're living in some crazy days. Last Sunday, I got word that the COVID-19 virus was in Lexington. 24 hours later, it was here in Louisville. And 48 hours after that, our country started grinding to a halt. The pace at which things are changing, it's, it's quite honestly hard to keep up with. And there's so much uncertainty. No one with, can say with any measure of confidence what the next few days, few weeks, or even few months are going to look like. And in light of that, in light of all of this uncertainty, I want to step out of our series in Matthew's gospel so that we might step fully into the situation we find ourselves in. And so I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of anxiety in our country right now, there's a lot of anxiety in our souls. Not only are we worried about this virus, we're worried about the ramifications of it. We're worried about what's going to happen to our economy. So we're worrying about people we love. We're also worrying about our jobs, our our neighbors, our city. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which reminds us of our sure and certain hope in times like these. We thank you for Peter's word right here. That reminds us that to Jesus Christ belong all glory and dominion, both now and forever. And so I pray for this time. I pray as we open your word, Lord, you transcend time and space. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would give us incredible comfort, but would also fuel a courage within us that can not only sustain us in the days to come, but can also lead us out into acts of love. We ask all of this in the name of your Son. Amen. 
Well, there are two major invitations in this text that I want to put before you, two things that Peter invites us to. The first thing he invites us to is that we would remember our place in God's plan. And then the second one I want to draw out is that we would step into our calling to love well. Remember our place in his plan and then step into our calling to love well. In verse 7, Peter says that the end of all things is at hand. And You know, when I first read these words, I know that they might seem strange to read to you, even alarming, considering our present circumstances. Maybe when you hear these words, you picture a man with long hairs and a cardboard sign standing on a street corner shouting prophetic apocalyptic messages. But that's not what Peter is saying here. When Peter is saying that the, the end of all things at hand is at hand, he is not predicting the day or hour of Christ's return. Peter knew, he heard Jesus himself say, no one knows the day or hour that the Son of Man will return. Instead, what Peter is saying is something that's very important for us at all times, but especially in this moment. Peter is telling us that through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, all of human history has entered into a final stage, the last chapter of God's great plan of redemption. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus has dealt a decisive blow to Satan, to sin, and to death. And our future hope is secure and it is assured. And right now we are living in the last chapter, the last act of God's redemptive activity in our world. So Peter tells us these things. He doesn't say it to stir anxiety. In fact, the very next thing Peter says is that in light of this, in light of all that God has accomplished, and in light of the the few things left that he has to accomplish, he encourages us to maintain perspective. He says, be sober-minded and be self-controlled. The word he has here, of course, the original people that Peter was writing to, there are people who were suffering terrible hardship and persecution, a lot of uncertainty in their day. And the word he has for them and for us is that we should never let the light and momentary afflictions of these present days of our current life obscure our vision or cloud our hope of what God is going to do in the future. You know, this is such a timely word for us. I know with this virus and this, what the World Health Organization is now calling a pandemic, people are responding in a lot of different ways. Some are shrugging it off as nothing. Others are overwhelmed with anxiety. But Peter, he doesn't want us to shrug things like this off, and he also doesn't want us to be swamped by our anxiety. What Peter wants of us is something different. He wants us to keep whatever we experience in this life in perspective. He wants us to recognize that everything, every hardship and every trial, every suffering, they're all temporary and our future is secure. Whether it's a virus, a natural disaster, financial hardship, all of the pains that we experience in life, they're all temporary and God has promised to deal with them fully and finally when his son returns. So as we think about the next few weeks and the next few months, as we navigate our 
fears and our anxieties, if things get bad, I feel like this is such a timely word for us. We shouldn't minimize the reality we find ourselves in, but we also must not let it overshadow our hope. You know, this week I saw online, and I'm sure many of you did, a quote from an essay C.S. Lewis once wrote entitled, On Living in an Atomic Age. In it, Lewis says, basically, when I'm asked, how are we to live in an atomic age, I'm tempted to reply, why, live as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. While a lot of what we're experiencing and will likely experience in the days and weeks to come might feel new or strange or disorienting to us, it's not new or strange or disorienting in light of all of human history. And it certainly doesn't alter the finished work of Christ on our behalf. Lewis continues, if we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us. When it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Lewis's sentiments here remind me of that Martin Luther quote, which very well may be apocryphal, where he said, if I knew the world was ending tomorrow, I would plant a tree today. Both of them are echoing what Peter is echoing, is that as Christians, we have a perspective that transcends beyond whatever's before us today, whatever crisis, whatever pleasure, whatever's going on in our world, while it's significant, Peter and Lewis and Luther, they remind us of the great truth, the great hope we have as Christians, that we have perspective. And we can see well beyond whatever's in the immediate, and we have great hope in what God has promised to do in the future. And in light of that, we should live with sobriety, and we should carry on and be faithful to the call that God has put before us. Now, some people might say, well, if, if we should continue on as normal as Lewis advocates, then why in the world aren't we gathering in person this weekend? And I would say the big difference between what we're facing today in contrast to what the people Lewis was originally writing to were facing is that the threat of our day isn't wholly outside of us. In fact, it's something we can carry inside of us and not even know it. We can unintentionally and unknowingly be a part of a chain reaction that causes this virus to spread and wreak a lot of, a lot of havoc in our city and our country. And that's why we're not gathering together in person this Sunday. And that's why we must be willing to alter our routines. But none of this means that we should shut down our lives. And it certainly doesn't mean that we should cower in fear. Peter's plea, my plea for you, for us as a body, is that we would not let our present circumstances obscure 
our great hope. If anything, these circumstances in this season of uncertainty, it presents us with the great opportunity to grow deeper in our hope. In fact, what Peter recommends here in the text, he says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Peter is saying opportunities like this, they, they remind us to, to maintain perspective and then to pray. And what should we pray for? Well, there's a lot of immediate things we need to pray for. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our city, our country, the world. We need to pray for the sick and those who are going to get sick. We need to pray for those who have or will lose their jobs. We need to pray for those whose lives will be drastically or even permanently altered by this situation. Those are all needed prayers, things we as a church should join together in praying for. But we shouldn't stop there either. You know, times like these, For many people, they serve as a powerful reminder of our frailty and our mortality. Times like these pull us out of the, the monotony of our routines, which can almost hypnotize us. And they remind us that our time on this earth is limited. And in light of that, to be faithful to Peter's calling here, while we're praying for needs and praying for our neighbors, we also need to be praying as Jesus taught us for God's kingdom to come in its fullness. We should be praying that in this season, the lost, people who are spiritually lost right now might be found. People who are spiritually awake right now might wake up to ultimate reality. People who are spiritually dead right now might be raised to life. And so church, no matter what the coming days hold for us, let us use this as an opportunity to pray. Peter says, the surest sign that we're living in line with God's promises is that we have perspective and we're praying. So let's pray. That's the first thing Peter holds before us. The second call or invitation Peter places before us is the call to love well. After reminding us that we're in the last chapter of God's great work of redemption, Peter puts forward really one simple call. It's in verse 8. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Such an interesting command. It's so simple. You know, remember, Peter's writing to people who are suffering all sorts of things. And so he's putting one basic call. How do we respond in a time like this? And Peter says the way we respond is we love one another well. I think that's a really important word for us. The typical human response to times of, un, of hardship and uncertainty is to retreat, to close ourselves off, to isolate, to focus on ourselves. And when we do this, a lot of unhealthy things kind of spill over in our lives. We become irritable or angry. We can have a very critical spirit, a negative spirit. We, we've already, we're already seeing some of this in our country. Not a lot, but some of it. We're seeing people who are using this crisis to score political points. We're seeing people who are hoarding enough toilet paper, you know, to last them through a nuclear winter. And as this anxiety about this virus spreads, 
we're going to see some of these very unhealthy behaviors grow. It's probably going to get worse. But Peter here, he calls us to a different way. He calls us to love one another earnestly, deeply, fervently. To love one another constantly. He's reminding us of the great command we've been given to love God and then to love others. This is the way we're to respond. And as believers who know the future, who have that perspective, we recognize that seasons like this, while yes, there's going to be hardship, and while yes, people are going to suffer, we recognize though in the midst of that, that seasons of uncertainty are also times and seasons of great opportunity. If things do get more difficult in the weeks to come, and they likely will, there are going to be so many opportunities for us as the church to be the church and to step into this call. Peter even gives us some idea of what that would look like. He says in verse 9, he encourages us how we love one another earnestly. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, hospitality to us means well-catered and fancy dinner parties, and I don't know if that's the smartest idea right now, but hospitality in the Bible, it means loving strangers, and it means loving outsiders. It means not closing yourself off to those in need. Yes, in this time, we're going to need to look to our own interests But hospitality means that we don't stop there, that we're looking to the interests of others as well. And as some people are stockpiling more supplies than they could ever need, we should be people who are looking for folks to share with. Hospitality means that we might check in on the widow who lives alone in our neighborhood. We might stop by and ask her if we can help. Hospitality means that We could go run errands for those who shouldn't be around a lot of people right now. Hospitality means that we have an eye to need in our community, and we're eager to step into it. Now, our staff is actively looking and working to find ways to equip you as the church to step into this need to love our neighbors well and to show hospitality, and we will hopefully have some opportunities for you in the coming days and potentially weeks. So Peter tells us to love one another earnestly, to show hospitality. And then in verse 10, he he tells us that we should serve according to our gifts. Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Peter is drawing our attention to something that Paul lays out very clearly in 1 Corinthians, which is that God has gifted every believer in certain ways. He's given us gifts, and the reason he gives us these gifts is so that we might use them to bless and benefit other people, that we might steward them well for the good of the whole body. And so I wonder what your gifts are, and I wonder how you might steward them well in this season. Some of you, you have the gift of encouragement. You're a Barnabas. If that's you, you're a person who should be on the phone, texting, emailing, sending cards, you name it, checking in on people, encouraging people who are discouraged and who are down. Those of you who are gifted in teaching, especially teaching children, there are a lot of other people 
who could learn a lot from you and how to encourage their children and spend more time and family devotions with their children in this season. And while just thinking about myself and some of the other leaders here, while large gatherings are discouraged right now, we do have amazing technology we can utilize. And I, along with other leaders here, we're working together to put together some resources to encourage you in this season. And we're hopefully going to be posting a link to some of those resources in just a few days. I also want to say if you're financially well off, if God has blessed you, your generosity, it can make a huge difference in the lives of a lot of people in the days and the weeks to come. We've all been gifted in different ways. How are you looking to use your gifts to serve? How are you looking to take the things that God has given you and using that to love the church, other believers, and our community? As a student of church history, I can tell you that it's in moments like this, in moments of crisis, that the church almost always does her best work. In times of affluence, you don't hear great stories about the church throughout history. But in times of uncertainty and suffering, that's when you see the church really shine. When you study the early church, you know that it wasn't dynamic communicators, it wasn't amazing technology, it wasn't well-produced worship experiences that led to their explosive growth. What led to the growth of the early church, it was the way Christians loved one another and loved the world. There are so many examples. One example in that day, it was common for Romans to leave unwanted babies in garbage dumps so that they would die of exposure. And it was the Christians who went to those dumps and rescued those babies and raised them as their own. Most of these babies were little girls, which is why the early church had a greater proportion of women than men. Another example, in 250 AD, Christians were subject to an empire-wide persecution. They were arrested they were imprisoned, they were tortured, many were executed. And when the emperor of that day died, the persecution subsided, but then a new threat emerged. It was the plague, and it was really, it was the measles. And when the measles came to town, all of the wealthy and privileged people in the community, they fled to the countryside to avoid getting sick. But it was a lot of Christians who stayed, and they cared not just for their own, they also cared for those who'd been who had persecuted them only months earlier. A historian from the fourth century wrote this about the Christians in that day. He said, all day long, some of them tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city, a multitude of those withered from famine, and they distributed bread to them all. Now, by the grace of God, I don't think we're going to see anywhere near the amount of hardship and suffering they saw. But my hope and my prayer for us is that this world sees that same spirit, that same heart, and that same kind of love overflowing out of our church and the church in the days and weeks to come. And the reason we do this is not so we can get great sound clips or anything like that, the reason we do this, Peter tells us, is that we serve in order that in everything, 
God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The reason we pour ourselves out, the reason we serve and we do great acts of love is one, because Christ first loved us, and two, because we want to show the world the great love that Christ has shown. I love you guys. I'm prayerful and I'm very hopeful that what right now might be a confusing season and a discouraging season, I, I know our God and I know, I know how he works. And I have tremendous hope that this season, God is tilling up some ground to prepare us for an incredibly powerful season ahead for the church. I'm praying for you and I'm asked that you would pray for us. Let's pray together now. Father, we thank you for your word, which is timely in season and out of season. We thank you for Peter's words here. Lord, I pray that we would not get so overwhelmed in the moment that, that the 24-7 news would not alter our perspective, the perspective we're given in your word. That we're in the final act, and whether you come tomorrow or you come hundreds of years from now, we know that you've already dealt the decisive blow to Satan, sin, and death, and that you're coming again. May you ground us in that hope. In this season when so many people are going to be so filled with fear, may we be a people who are abounding with hope in you, knowing that you're good, you're mighty to save, and you're never asleep at the wheel, that you are actively ruling over all. Lord, I also ask for us as a people, may you stir our hearts to love and good deeds. May this be a defining moment for our church. May we love the community so well that even though they disagree with us on so many things, they might see our response to crisis and to need, and you might get the glory. We ask all of this in the name of your Son. Amen. I'm Kevin Jameson, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.